I made a decision to extend this study one more week, and I did that for a couple of reasons. Pull your outline out. You can see it's a pretty full one, and we were going to cover the whole subject on prayer as reliance, because we're working through the, the five aspects of the Lord's Prayer together. And uh, we're going to stop at a really important point halfway through, and then we'll pick it up next week. And then we'll finish the study the first week in June. But after last night, I thought, you know, I just got to talk about Harold Camping and the end of the world a little bit. Um, so I, I just want to make sure we left enough time for that, because it's a teachable moment for us. I think what I'm going to do is some sort of a study at some point as to why the world didn't end on May 21st. And, and I'll give you cards. You can invite your friends out. Because this is a great opportunity to talk about how wrong the church gets it sometimes. It angers me. It angers me for numerous reasons because it was, first of all, those types of teachers that were the only people that Jesus ever had anger for. And when he had it, it was white hot. He turned tables over. He was really upset at religious leaders who misled God's sheep. I get angry at that, and I get angry at what it does for the name of Christ. It's just a teachable moment to talk a bit about more subtle ways that, that we as a church in general, not quite as extreme as, as, dare I say, brother camping, but I think that there's, there's an issue here. And let me just say a few things about the end times. I will just tell you straight out, I don't buy into much of the going idea of how we look at the book of Revelation and the prophecies to try to somehow figure out what's happening in the future. And it's not to say... Thank you, both of you. <laughs> and it's not to say that I don't believe there is some timeline out there, but here's my bottom line. God hasn't given it to us. And to the degree that the church has spent all this time trying to figure out timelines, it's like when Jesus said, of the day and hour knoweth no man, not even the son of man, which means himself, in human form, having surrendered, as Philippians 2 said, his authority as God, even he did not know the Father's plans. And it's as though somehow the church took that as a dare. No, he's saying nobody knows. And what we have done for the last couple of centuries is to go, yeah, well, we're going to figure it out anyway. Even though we as Christians don't go for things like the Da Vinci Code, we have our own versions of it. Numerology, hidden messages, secret symbolism. Listen to me. Jesus is called the Word made flesh. God is the great communicator. Do you think he's told us everything we need to know to believe in him and to live this life while we're waiting for him? Do you think God has hidden things for us to somehow spend our whole study of God's Word to try to figure out and then pass it on because we've got the secret knowledge? No. I will never preach God's word as to say to you that somehow I have figured something out that everybody else has missed. It's one thing to help us understand the authentic message of the word of God by going to the original language, to the context of the culture, because we can grossly misunderstand things that are said simply because we don't understand what it was like 2,000 years ago, and we understand that translations can fall a little short of the full feeling trying to be readable. So it's one thing to go to God's word and to really study the original language and to try to study the context. What we're trying to do is to get at what God really said. We're not trying to get at what he didn't say but wants us to guess at. We should never come to scripture that way. Never. And it is a great failure of the American church to turn theology 
into what Jesus said we should never turn it into, and that's trying to figure out times and events. If you really want to understand end times, stop going to all the symbolism as your starting point and go to where it's really talked about, where it's talked about by real people in real time about real events. And if you look at what the Apostle Paul says about the coming of Christ, he typically writes about the coming of Christ because people have screwed it up. And he tends to correct on three points. He corrects about trying to figure out times and days and hours. He has to address those who have said somehow Jesus has already come but not here. Do those sound like familiar things? How many cults have been started because somebody said God's coming and then when he didn't, they said, oh, he did, but someplace else. Already came. Paul has to write back in the first century of the church to say, don't listen to those people. And don't listen to those people who try to figure out times and hours. And then the third thing he has to deal with are those that say, look, it's been this long. He's never coming. My point is, we have always been obsessed with what Jesus told us not to be obsessed about. And when Scripture actually addresses it, it addresses it to say, it's God's time. Now, here's what the Bible does say clearly. Jesus said he'd return. He said he'd come again. So do we believe that? Amen. Yes, we do. Jesus said, of the day and hour knoweth no man. Should we believe that? Yeah. How much energy has been wasted? How much time? How much division in the church has been wasted because we propose to say what even the Son of Man did not know and then get mad at each other for seeing it differently? We believe he's coming. Secondly, every one of the New Testament writers believed that Jesus could come in their lifetime. If that was true then, then they're the ones that gave us the teaching about the end times. We believe that Jesus could come at any time. So we're supposed to be ready for God's return. Third, every time the actual writers who are addressing real time, real life, real faith, talk about the coming of the Lord, their whole goal is that we would be living holy, godly lives in anticipation for his return. Now, in a nutshell, that's my theology of the end times. I think it's wrong that anybody stands up and proposes to believe something that the Bible never teaches us to believe. It's one thing to say, I have a viewpoint on this, and here's my viewpoint. It's another thing to add it to our core set of doctrines. Those doctrines need to be a very short list. Do I have some ideas about the future and how it might go? Yeah, but frankly, I could be persuaded a couple directions. Why? Because all they are are viewpoints. That's all they are. They're people saying, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Well, maybe. But that's all it's ever supposed to be is maybe. What is certain? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That's certain. See? So, so all of us in here got it today. So, I just think that's so important. And I want to pray for the name of Christ not to be diminished by this. I want to pray for those people that followed Harold Camping into this, and now have to wrestle with the fragments of their life, some of whom have nothing left to live. And I just want to pray that God will allow us to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what we're called to do. God judges those who teach harshly. In the Old Testament, a prophet could never be wrong. Standards are a lot lower than that. If a prophet's ever right about something, we, we think, well, he's right, he was right about that. Got to be a prophet. Scripture, the prophet is never wrong. They were put to death if they were found to have 
said, thus saith the Lord, and it was not the Lord. In the New Testament, Scripture says very clearly that those of us who teach will be judged more carefully, more severely for how we divide the word of God. I don't take that lightly. My goal with you is to always not say, what does the Bible say to me? But to ask, what does the Bible say? And sometimes the Bible's gonna say stuff, as much as we try to understand and see the context, it's gonna say stuff that just goes against what we want it to be. Because <laughs> it would be a lot easier to be in a world where things like sin were not an accepted truth in Scripture and the need for redemption and certain standards morally. But we can't ever come at God's word with our bias. It's, there's nothing wrong with having a systematic theology because it helps you have some sort of structure to look at the Bible. But it must serve God's word. God's word never serves our preconceptions and our structures. That's the problem, see? And so my goal is to not be a new kind of Christian, but to be a real Christian, not to redefine Christianity for our culture, but to recover it. How camping is just one version of how we get in the way of the real Jesus and the real word of God and the real gospel. And we need to be aware, just as much as anybody, of the assumptions, of the attitudes, of the things that we do that just get in the way of the pure word who is Christ himself being spread as a light in the darkness so that all who receive him can be called children of God. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna pray for a moment. I'm gonna pray for uh, the world right now and what they must think of Christianity all over again. I'm gonna pray for those believers who sincerely followed the Pied Piper. Uh, I'm gonna pray for the heart of that Pied Piper. And I'm gonna pray for us that we would always treat this as the living word of God and most reverently seek always to divide it well, to study it well, to honor it for what it is. And let it dwell richly in our hearts. That's what Paul says to do. All right? So let's do that for a moment. Abba. <laughs> in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I want to pray for the glory of your name. I want to bring back the words of Isaiah 26, 8. Walking in your ways. It's your name and your renown that are desires of our hearts. And Father, we want to see your name made much of in these days. We pray that you will show your glory to this generation, to this nation, to this world in a moment where they have been put in a position where they might look at uh, the faith as, as something to be scorned. Father, I pray for those who by the tens of thousands bought into this, put themselves, their reputation, their faith on the line. I can't imagine what some are going through today. I pray that you will save hearts uh, in this moment who could easily just fall away and, and lose lose what grace they've tasted and now fall away from it. In the end, you're really all we have. You alone are the truth. You alone have the words of life. You're the one who we want to be magnified. Hallowed be your name. Lord, we, we do pray that your kingdom would come. 
But forgive us for just making that all about um, a, a, a mystical future when what you taught was that the kingdom comes through us. We extend your kingdom through the gospel. It is the gospel of the kingdom that where you are, you reign. And so we acknowledge that your kingdom is here in this place, and we ask that you use us to extend it to the world around us. Father, may your kingdom come as your gospel is spread and millions of hearts come to know you and become citizens of that great kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can turn our beliefs even to a bunch of stuff that we want, we want, and we can see it and want it so bad that it blinds us to the truth. And so, Father, even in our faith, even in what we choose to believe, we want your will. We want what you want. And we eagerly sit back and say, please, teach us. Teach us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.